Welcome to our Impact Campus Ministries Bible Study. If you missed us in person this week, you can join us now as we spend time in the Gospels and take a look at how Jesus interacts with his disciples. You know, some people learn best from books, reading, instruction manuals, while others prefer more of a hands-on approach. Some people like to be shown what to do, and others like to be given instructions while they are actually using their hands. Um, some people like observational learning, like uh, YouTube videos. Last week, I installed some smart lights in our kitchen. The assembly of the actual lights involved attaching two spring clips that would hold the light in place in the ceiling. Now, for me, the instructions were a bit nondescriptive as to how the clips attached. It showed a small picture of what to do, but it wasn't very good, and it took me 20 minutes to get the clips on right. Now, had it come with written instructions, it might have saved me a bit of frustration because I learned best from clear written instructions or by somebody talking me through something, not just from photos or a picture. Let me ask you another question. Um, do you like to bake or cook? Now, some people, they are a by-the-book recipe kind of person. Uh, other people are a pinch of this, a handful of that. For me, I can follow a recipe with very clear and concise instructions really well, but I'm not as much of a little bit, little bit of this, handful of that kind of person. So that takes us back to the question of how do you best learn? Maybe you can take a moment and think about a time when a learning experience was super frustrating. Now, for me, my most recent frustrating moment was uh, trying to put those lights together. Now, it took a good, like I said, it took a good 20 minutes. But even still, the first two or three lights, I managed to get the spring clips on. Um, but I know I didn't get them on according to the instructions, I got them on correctly eventually. And it took about the fourth light before I realized exactly what the instructions were trying to show me to do. And light number four, light number five went really easy and much quicker. Now I want to take a look at, uh, at the disciples and how they learned, how Jesus taught them. But before we do that, let's take a look at what a disciple was. What did it take to be a disciple? What does a disciple do? In Jesus' day, a young man who had been an outstanding student, first in Bet Sefer and then in Bet Midrash, and had the desire and passion to be a disciple, would approach a rabbi and ask to follow him, and to study with him. The rabbi would get to know the potential disciple. He would test him, evaluate him, test his knowledge, test his commitment, test his character, and then the rabbi would accept the disciple by saying, come, follow me, or he would reject him. Now, rejection then wasn't considered a failure. It was pretty normal. You had to be the best of the best of the best to be accepted by a rabbi, to follow a rabbi as a disciple. So if you were, re were rejected or you never even applied, 
That wasn't failure. That was normal. That usually meant that you went back to do, you know, the, the family business or you apprenticed out to another trade. Now, if a disciple was accepted, he would walk with the rabbi. Everywhere the rabbi goes, he goes. He eats when the rabbi eats. He sleeps when the rabbi sleeps. Imitates everything the rabbi does for one reason. The disciple wants to be just like the rabbi in the rabbi's walk with God. And then eventually over time, the rabbi will tell his disciple, it's time to go and make your own disciples. So as we begin, let's make a pit stop in Mark chapter 1. This is going to be verse 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And they, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now let's jump to John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, do you remember just a, a little bit ago how a potential disciple would apply to study under a rabbi? What does Jesus do that's different? Jesus chose them. He calls them. Now, these guys are every ordinary people from small towns and villages. Some were fishermen, and he chose them. He says, come, follow me. Now, I like that because I come from a small town. And what that message says is that Jesus purposefully chose his disciples not from large cities, not from the biggest schools, not from the Ivy League schools. He chose every ordinary, everyday ordinary people. And he says, you are enough, just as you are. And I think that's the same message for us. So they leave their stuff, and they immediately follow Jesus. And from that moment on, he spends the next three years teaching, testing their commitment, testing their knowledge, testing their character, but not to reject them. He does this to prepare them. Jesus is different. He sees our value and our worth and says, I choose you. I want you. So that's kind of the background for what we're going to study. We're going to go to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15 for a bit, and we're going to park there. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee 
which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the first thing I want to point out is what does Jesus do in verse 5 and 6? He sees this crowd coming, and he's not, he's not really there to perform a miracle and feed the crowd, I think, as much as he's there to teach his disciples. And he says in verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus has some motives here. Jesus wants to take this as an opportunity to teach his disciples, to stretch his disciples. Now, in this story, there's a much larger teaching than a simple faith lesson of how are we going to take care of these people. In the Old Testament, the number five represents the books of Moses or the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. The number two represents the tablets of Moses that he wrote the Ten Commandments on. Now, the lesson to his disciples is, is so much deeper than just a faith lesson on providing food. If we take this imagery, we could say it this way, that Jesus takes the five loaves, the books of Moses, and the two fish, the tablets of Moses, making the law complete. Five plus two equals seven. And in Jewish context, seven equals the number of completion. And so he gave this to his disciples to give to the people. So when the people take this and they eat, in a symbolic message, they're taking the perfect law and teachings of God that they've gotten from the disciples just as the, just as the disciples got it from Jesus. 
And in this, I see the message that there's more than enough for all of God's people. Now, understand this. There's, I'm not saying that there's some hidden numerical cryptic code in the Bible. Not all numbers are symbolic all the time. But in this part of the lesson to his disciples, I think Jesus is saying something specific, that he's testing and stretching his disciples. And when you let Jesus interpret the law and the teachings of God, that there's more than enough to go around for everyone. Now, eventually, Jesus will stretch his disciples to know that Messiah is also for the Gentiles, that Messiah is also for the oppressed, that Messiah is for all who the empire says have no value because Jesus, Messiah, is for everyone. as we sit and think about this as followers of Christ many times we find ourselves in situations that stretch us that, that test us now right after the feeding of the 5,000 we have another little teaching moment that Jesus uses with his disciples. So we're going to go to Mark 6. And this comes right after the feeding of the 5,000 in, in, in Mark as well. Starting at verse 45, this is Mark chapter 6. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, about 4 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for... For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now in Matthew 14, we get another little part of the story. Starting at verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, according to these passages, Jesus watches them struggle. Now, there's another thing that we should be aware of, is that in the time of Jesus, they considered that the waters, the, the Sea of Galilee, was an entrance to the abyss. So here you have fishermen who, in some sense, are afraid of the water. It's in both Mark and Matthew, and even in the passage in John, which we didn't read, they all quote, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. As fishermen, while they would go out onto the water into the boat, typically they would stay as close to shore as possible. And Jesus knows that they're afraid of the waters. And another thing that happens that I, I find maybe this is a little bit of, of the humor that Jesus has, but the Mark passage records that um, he planned to walk by them. I kind of have this image in my head of Jesus passing by them while they're in the boat going, hey guys, what's up? I don't know. I don't but it seems kind of an odd thing to, to put in the text. But one of the things that I would I think is, is likely is that Jesus was probably a bit of a distance away from the boat because the disciples didn't recognize him. But thinking he was a ghost that had come up out of the abyss, now, I don't know if that means that he was 15 feet from the boat, if he was 20 feet from the boat. I'm not sure how far out he would have to be for them not to realize that it's the rabbi. But that is something to think about and consider as um, Peter gets out of the boat and actually walks on water. I think, this is my own, only my own opinion, but I think he walks far enough to be near Jesus. Now, one of the other questions we can ask is, why did Peter want to walk on water? You think it was cool? Thought it might be fun? I don't know. But what I think, from uh, just from the studying and knowing that a disciple wants to be like his rabbi. I wonder if Peter wanted to walk on water simply because Jesus walked on water and he wanted to be like Jesus. 
Now, the next question that, that kind of raises in my head in this moment where I think Jesus is testing his disciples, testing to see what they're made of. So I'm going to ask the question, who does Peter doubt? Does he doubt himself? Does he doubt Jesus? Does he doubt a combination of each? Now I'm going to I'm going to still say that I think Peter doubts himself. And I say this because he had the strength to do something that the other 11 guys didn't do. He got out of the boat. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. Peter knows you don't walk on water. Peter knows that when you step in the water, you go down to the bottom, you get wet. But Peter stepped out of the boat. Now, if Jesus was far enough away from the disciples in the boat that they did not recognize him, then perhaps Peter walked several feet. The text really doesn't say, but what the text does say is that he cried out, says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him. So he had to have gotten to a point where he was in close vicinity of Jesus for Jesus simply to reach out. And so this leads me to the conclusion that he didn't doubt Jesus, that he doubted himself. He doubted how this was possible. He, maybe he doubted, um, looked at the wind and the waves and went, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I shouldn't be able to do this. Whatever the reason... Jesus was very specific and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So to summarize and wind this up, the first thing to remember is that Jesus tests, stretches his disciples. Let's see what they're made of. Let's stretch their thinking. Let's stretch their understanding of who God is. And eventually, he stretches their understanding that God is for everyone. Jesus Jesus is for everyone. That is not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. He stretches their comfort zone and calls them, calls them to step out of the boat. Peter was the only one of the 12 bold enough to step out of the boat and walk on water. Even if he did falter at a point. So where are you? 
Do you see Jesus being for everyone? Are you willing to go out of your comfort zone and step out of the boat?